today on the show, we're talking about rent versus buy. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with my co-host Trevor. And today we're talking about renting versus buying a home and how to determine your housing rental needs and, and how much you should pay for that. Yeah, I think this is a good topic. It, it On the surface, you would think this is a topic for a younger demographic. But as we get into this episode, I'm going to say this is a consideration for people in the older demographic, meaning uh, I can say ep- empty nesters. So this is, a, a, I think, something people should consider in many stages of their lives. So we have done rent versus buying episodes an episode maybe in the past in our back catalog we have for sure. But this episode, the kind of the focus that we wanted to bring to it was talking about how much we should pay for rent because Trevor, I'm sure you can agree with this, but there is this, I want to call it stigma around renting in that when you rent, you are throwing your money away. So I actually want to talk about that. Can you speak to that just to leave this episode off? So this couldn't be more wrong. So when you pay somebody rent for the privilege to live somewhere, that is what you're getting in exchange. That would be like saying, actually, you know what's even, you can make a stronger case for is, is insurance. You pay insurance, in, the, in, in most people pay insurance hoping they'll never ever use it, but it's protection. It's protecting some sort of asset or life insurance is, is protecting your income. But I think if you pay somebody rent, you are you are getting the, privilege to live somewhere you are getting something in exchange you're getting housing in exchange for the money you're paying and the problem is people are comparing it to owning and that that's when they say oh i'm throwing money away but when we get this episode there's a lot more cost to owning than there is to renting so you can't compare them you can't just say my mortgage my rent is fifteen hundred dollars a month and my mortgage payment would be $1,500 a month, I might as well be buying. And that's that math is very flawed. So yeah, like Trevor said, we will get into that point later in the show. But that right there just illuminates how how each, how each um, either renting versus buying are quite different. Now, I'm going to say, I, so I'm a homeowner and I, I, I've also been a renter. The problem is, is I haven't been a renter for a long time. So I may be looking through at renting through rose-colored glasses because it's been, I'll say, 30 years since I've I've been a, a tenant in, in a rental unit. But I, I think there is some upsides that people, it's almost like, so home ownership is a bit of a cult, particularly, I think, in Canada. And we've been sort of pre-programmed to make home ownership the, the default choice. And I think renting has some really strong options. I agree with that. I mean, I just, when we're kind of beginning this episode, I currently rent, I've only rented. And I think as a renter and anyone else listening to this who does currently rent, you definitely have a different perspective than I think a home buyer. And and I'm sure everyone can maybe identify with with those points as I speak to them. But I, I do want to say as a renter, you, your perspective on home buying looks it almost appears that it, it maybe it's changing by generation. I think it might be, but that unless you have unless you're living in a home, you haven't really made it. You're not really an adult, and there's kind of that. 
I don't know. That's that. That's what exists. I feel in 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 my life and in the people around me. And that is, I, I agree with you 100% on that. And here's the thing, and I'm going to use minimalism as an example. It's almost to be a minimalist, you almost need to live a, a maximalist life, meaning you you you, you buy and become a, a high-end consumer and then make the conscious decision to become a minimalist. Otherwise, you're just, you, you might be, and not that I care what people think, but you might think, people may think you're just poor right? You just, you can't afford these things. But if you've gone to one extreme and then come back, then, then it's like you, you've, you're no longer going to be judged. So if you've, if you've been a renter and then you've owned a home and then you go back to renting, then, then again, I don't care what people think, but society will look at you and say, well, that's a conscious decision. It's not like they can't afford to own a home. They just choose not to. So, but in the same breath, I think we have such an incredible, unique, um, frugal-minded audience who listen to this podcast that take pride in 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 living in alternative alternative um, homes, whether that's van life, whether that's renting their for their whole entire life. I think we can take comfort knowing that a lot of our listeners pr- are are very proud that they are living the way they're living. Well, and I okay, people. I I don't think the, the the population is 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 you're describing. I think those are the exceptions. I I, I would say most of the people listening to the podcast, I'm going to say, are homeowners. Yes, yes, but they but maybe they have done it with with intention. I mean, I'd like to hear from our listeners to to hear how you ended up in the home that you're living in because that would be interesting to hear. But um, I do. But in general, too, Trevor, I'm sure that you still you work around individuals who don't exactly live the same kind of personal finance life that you do so whether we know it or not i'm sure there's a lot of subconscious justification that is going on um, behind the scenes whether we realize it or not well oddly enough i think more people are going to just say you're a homeowner and you want to rent there you're going to be going through greater justifications to justify renting over owning i think like i know uh, so I'm moving into a, an empty nest stage of life. My my home is far larger than two people need, and I'm evaluating my my current housing needs. And I'm looking into the rental market and considering that. And I'm finding I have to do far more justification as to why I would rent versus you know downsize and buy another property. So I do want to jump right into what you're talking about right there kind of the determining your housing needs so that's the first area we're going to kind of broach during this episode then we're going to move on to talking about how much we should actually pay for rent because that is an important piece Um, and we'll get into kind of why that is and finally we'll lead the conversation up with renting versus buying and the pros and cons that come along with all of those so Trevor when when we're talking about rental needs so I'm sure that the actually you know what i was gonna say the beginning of your life looked different than the end but before you had a family i'm sure you you and your wife were renting then is is what i assume because you said you have rented it in the past so it's kind of coming full circle for you so in the in the beginning of my life like as coming of age in my 20s interest rates were around 12 13 percent and so the cost of carrying a mortgage was was significant. It was getting approved to carry a mortgage at 13%. You needed a, a good income stream to do that. 
So this is back in the late 80s. And there was a... So if you rented then, I mean, people making a, a good income were, were had to rent because they, they couldn't come up with enough of a down payment to carry a mortgage at 13% interest Ooh, rates. So I want to stop you there. So that sounds to me like if you weren't wealthy enough, if you didn't have enough um, wealth accumulated, that by default, in order not to uh, be without a home, you had to rent. So that already kind of lays the groundwork for that stigma. So it, it was a different environment than it is today. So today, you could carry a, a three or $400,000 mortgage at, at, I don't know, 3%. And I, I'm going to think a lot of people can qualify for that. Yeah, definitely. So, so that, so, so right from there, so you, you rented and, and I, so I rented because I had to, I, I could not afford to carry a mortgage. So, so when you're thinking about your rental need, needs now, and maybe any of our listeners, what is there, do you, are you walking into the possibility of renting with a different viewpoint because you're maybe choosing to versus wanting to? Cause I think that, that choose first um, have to or, or, or need to is, is quite uh, it can changes it changes your perspective oh absolutely like like my my example with being a minimalist so I, I was renting and felt bad about it because I everyone said you know and here's what I'm going to say owning a home it, it is a great wealth building tool and I've said this before it's a great wealth building tool in the form of forced savings we're going to talk talk about this later in the show but in my 20s, or after I bought a house, I don't think I had the financial discipline to, to save money like I was being forced to repay my mortgage, save money. No, definitely. So I want to, I want to jump into, so we're, we're, we're approaching this conversation from the standpoint that of, of any individuals, any listeners listening today that are deciding, are making that choice to rent. Um, and, and we've kind of put together a list of, of your housing rental needs, things that you can, should consider if a, you're in Trevor's shoes and haven't, um, entered the rental market in years or maybe rent or entering the rental market for the first time or had a bad experience, um, renting, um, in a previous location is, and are kind of starting fresh and, and, and wondering how they can tackle the rental market, um, with a new perspective. And so I just want to say, so when we started to come up with this show idea, we were going to do how much should you pay for rent just if, to be financially responsible or to get ahead financially? And then the more we talked through this episode, it, it kept evolving into rent first buy because that, that's my mindset. Courtney was kind of more focused on how much should you really be willing to pay for rent? So it's kind of a twofold episode. So this first half of the show is really going to be a, a focused on renting. Yeah, catering to our renters, people who are kind of in that market. And then, of course, we're going to follow up with a little bit of the pros and cons of renting, which, of course, when we talk about um, the cons of renting, that obviously alludes to um, the pros of buying. And I can't help myself. Whenever we talk rent, I, I just go into the rent first buy because, <laughs> because I am wrestling with that myself. So that that's why I keep going into that. How much is we willing to pay for rent? But I guess when you talk about how much should you be willing to pay for rent, it, you're always comparing that to what would it cost me to buy? Oh, of course. And again, that is why, that again is why we can't really have a conversation about renting without buying, kind of poking its head into the conversation. 
So determine your housing rental needs. So this conversation, this is for this is for me, this is for Trevor, this is for everyone else listening. So um, the, the first item on our list is, can you do a reference check on your landlord? So this point is so incredibly important. Um, Trevor, what, what's been your experience related to this point? So most people, when they, they're getting to a rental property, the, the, it, it, all of the, it, it's in the landlord's favor. I mean, they are, they are interviewing you and deciding whether they want you in their rental unit. But I'm saying do a reference check on your landlord. Find out if, oh, here's, here's a good red flag. If you go to look at a, a property and it's, there's just nobody in it, so it's, it's, it's a vacant unit and there's like no waiting, like there's no waiting list. This is a building with a, a vacancy all the time. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a way of, of checking the reference on your landlord without actually checking anything. But I, I, I don't know if you can really, the, what you really want to know is, is your landlord looking after the building? Because if it's empty, if, if a unit is vacant, it's vacant for a reason. Yeah, I know. And that's, uh, that is a very accurate statement. And uh, this list isn't, isn't in any particular order. Um, we do want to add, but number this, this first point, I think it is one that is, I personally am not considered um, in, in my years of renting. It's one that's kind of went to the wayside because we're usually just focused on the actual space we're going to be living in, where it's located, which we'll get to that. Um, what this the state of the home is like and at this point I find to do to be very it's kind of a little bit difficult but to spin it on its head when we when I went to with the place I'm currently living at the the process that the landlord had um, myself and my partner go through to be able to live here was so vigorous like so insanely vigorous we 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 got we had reference checks done on us um we we listed we, just a ton of information they they called our previous um landlords just so many different um steps to verify that we were going to be good tenants and that alone spoke volumes to how important it was for our landlord to to have good tenants within his place because that means he wanted someone in his home that was going to be respectful, take care of it, um, report any problems that it was having. And um, in, in his actual, uh, the lease for us, there was a condition in there that um, he'd be able to, when we got the keys from him, show us how um, it's kind of sp- specific things, how we can take care of specific things within his home. So he obviously went to great lengths to ensure and, and that, that's a sign of a good landlord. And I, th- I think those little things, the little things you kind of have to keep your ears out for. Because I, I, we've talked about this before, Trevor, how like things happen and you, you kind of have to have your ears out. You're sticking up, listening and just paying attention to the little nuances that, that might feel off in your gut, but that you have to trust. Well, here's the, the dilemma is if you get into a rental property that you can just afford, we're going to get into how much you should be willing to pay. But if if your income just meets the minimum requirements to rent this property in the eyes of the landlord, then then all the all the power or all the all the control is with the landlord. Because because once you're in a rental property, getting you out is really hard in Ontario, maybe in Canada, but in Ontario, the, the all the control is with the tenant. Once you're in a rental property, getting that person evicted is a challenge. So that's why they're so concerned about you being a responsible tenant, being able to pay your rent, look after the property, not, not destroy it. So that is their concern. 
But if you are renting a property that is well within your financial means and you, you're overqualified financially to rent this property, then the landlord's going to actually covet you as a tenant and want you. And as a result, you are going to be able to scrutinize your landlord more. It puts you more in a position of control. And maybe you could even just say, you know, that one of the conditions of renting a property is you have to cut the grass. Well, if the, if I, if the landlord looks and I have more, more than financial means to pay this rent, I might say, I'll rent this place, but I'm not going to cut the grass. The, the landlord may be willing to, you know, to have an, a tenant who knows they can afford to live there. They may be willing to forgo that in the, in the lease. So that's an example where if you rent well within your means, you end up having a, a, a stronger negotiating position. Oh, definitely. And I do want to note here that if you do end up in a in a in a home or or whatever type of rental unit you do end up in and your landlord is not all the person or individual you you assumed or thought they were i think that it happens that is i hate to say normal but they're really there's always two faces to um to a situation and so this does happen i th- i think it's sometimes hard. I, I've had this in my experience to see through um, the individual you are renting with. Well, it also, you, you, one thing to look at is maybe ask the question, is there a, a maintenance company that, that supports this rental building? Or uh, is there a property management company that manages it? Those give you indicators whether, is, I guess one of the, I, I had some kids that went to school and we, we, we were involved in rental properties through, through them. And I found that the, the people that were doing rental, a rental business on the side, meaning they had a full-time job and they were managing a couple of rental properties and doing the maintenance on those rental properties, they were very slow to respond to tenant concerns or, or things that would break. Whereas the, the guy who, so here's another scenario where this guy we rented, one of our kids rented from, he was a... Uh, he had a bunch of rental properties and that was his full-time job. He managed a bunch of rental properties and he was very attentive. He was, he went above and beyond the call of duty. And, and I thought he was a great landlord. Uh, another daughter, uh, she had a rental property and these, the, this guy was running it as a side business and he was, uh, I'm going to say somewhat unreasonable. So, and then an, another child of mine rented where, uh, it was managed by a, uh, property management company, and it was very well run. So, those are the kind of things that I, I think you need to look for in choosing a rental property. Oh, definitely. That I'm. That is a really incredible point for this point. Is the just what you kind of kind of can expect, and uh, the formalities that come along with with those expectations. Now, if you do choose a rental property that is, say, it's very it's professionally managed by a property management company. You probably that probably will show up in your rent. You'll probably be paying a premium for that rental property because the landlord has to pay a property management company to run it. So that may reflect in your rent. But at the end of the day, if that's something you're willing to kind of pay for, it is worth it. And last, my last thing for this point, number one, is do a quick Google search. I mean, it's that every all the opinions are on the internet and that has been in obviously an invaluable tool but I, it's it's there's so many sites that kind of report problems that uh, different places will have so again i know it's a super obvious one but it's uh, one that can't be uh, forgotten so number two is location 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 
So this is a, a favorite topic of mine in housing in general. And I'm going to say, if if you don't need to be in the downtown core of a metropolitan city, then don't be for any reason. Like if you if you don't work in a downtown core of a metropolitan city, and you live but you live down there, you are paying such a premium to be there. If you don't need that, don't don't choose it. So in the only re- so I'm going to say, if I work in the downtown core of a metropolitan city and I rent in the downtown core of metro, metropolitan city, and I'm paying a premium for that, I better be making some other concession in my life. And I'm going to say, I, I don't own a car. That That's going to be the concession that's going to justify me paying the premium to live downtown. But in this, in that same breath, I don't want to at all say that if you work downtown, you it's automatically okay to live downtown because there is no problem with commuting into downtown just so your cost base is a little bit lower. So you really, I just want to emphasize that point. You really have to um, be making the income to justify. So we will again talk into how much you pay for rent. So if that math makes sense, that math we're going to talk about makes sense, then maybe living downtown makes sense. No, I, so I agree. Like you, you be, be willing to commute that that's a, that's a choice, but don't live downtown and not have a good reason to pay that premium. Yes. And and when we talk about location as well, um, the city I live in, it's it's I, I'm sure every city is like this too, but you can literally go one block over, just one block, and the, the everything changes. Um just just the kind of the the safety of the neighborhood, um the kind of the income levels that reside within that area just so much changes literally from block to block and you wouldn't know until you live within that city so I guess I mean this is probably a pro to renting we'll get into but just be aware of of, again kind of your location and it is nice that leases are generally one year long as well because you can assess the the uh, the neighborhood and renting we'll get into this but renting is a great way to as well to assess um the neighborhood in a new city if if you're moving to a new place no that's true so if if you're moving to a new town particularly a large city there's these these lines of in a city where it's not like it's a an obvious line, but there's there's the desirable area and the undesirable areas of of a given city. And like you you said, you you can't spot that until you live there. Oh yeah, it, particularly in a downtown core, because like I agree with you, I've been in many cities where from one street to the next, it, it goes from uh, you know very quaint and beautiful to a little slice of hell. Oh my gosh. So it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's nuts. You literally look across the road and you're like, what, like what just happened there? But even where I live in, so I live in a small town of about 20,000 people and not, I, I can walk, I can go for a 30 minute walk, maybe a 20 minute walk and see a, you know, a two story, four bedroom house, the price swing of $200,000 Wow! In, in, in a 20 minute walk. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't know the difference unless I actually lived in that town. Oh, for sure. So that I think is such a key point. Um, so third kind of consideration when you're assessing your uh, housing rental needs is think about how long you plan to live there. So this one is the problem with this is a lot of people they they go into a living situation and they they either don't contemplate how long they're going to live there or they just assume they're going to live there until they don't, right? Is, is that kind of how you've approached housing? 
I, I feel like I'm an optimist and always do approach a, pra- a place of living as if I'm going to live there as long as possible. I mean, when I was a student, I knew it was probably going to be for just that year because it is a very like volatile, changing environment. But generally, I think we like to be optimists. So I'm going to say, and this is from, from experience, your life changes, I'm going to say not dramatically, but noticeably in five-year increments. It, for me, that has happened. My, my life has evolved enough that my housing needs have changed in five-year increments. Now, sometimes I've moved because of that, and sometimes I've just persevered knowing it's only five years and it's going to change, and, and, and my current housing needs are going to be adequate uh, five years from now. Even though this, this five-year window, they're kind of, they're not ideal, I know five years from now, things are going to change and they will be. So I would say always have a forward view and and just know you're not going to live anywhere forever. Now, some people do, I get that, but the, the, the forever home doesn't really exist. You're either going to have, at some point you're going to have not enough house or you're going to have too much house if you're trying to live in a forever home. It's just, it's a fact. And so I live in a house where this was just enough house when I had a, a family of five and it's too much house now. So for me to stay here would just, it's crazy. I'm, I'm the, the amount of space I'm heating, the maintenance on, on a larger home, it, 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 it just doesn't make sense. So assess your housing needs in five year windows. And I, I think you will, you will be doing yourself every Like don't assume you're going to live somewhere forever. Cause I, I think you'll have, you'll have, overpaid or been uncomfortable for long periods of time. So in saying that, if if we have a listener, even to yourself, who is selecting um, a new rental property, are you saying are you saying that you should be able to kind of make a lot of concessions because you you're you're not sure how long you will be there? Like how at how at what point do you advise a listener to kind of give up on location or kind of sacrifice a little on some other elements, um, either maybe the, the style of home or type of home uh, or apartment that they're pursuing. Well, I like, I like your, your, your approach to that is, is if you are making a concession, it's, it's not a lifetime concession. It, it, it's a, it's something that you, I'm going to live here until this becomes so problematic. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm miserable. So and you would move on. But buying, buying or renting any property is making a series of concessions. So with this point specifically, uh, with the current place I'm living in, we had the opportunity. So we were we went through a um, a real estate company. So we had a real estate agent. It's kind of an, it was a really interesting process because I didn't even know that was a service possible for renting, utilizing our, our real estate agent. But we did, and um, there was it, it was between um, us and another um, another I guess potential rent rentee who were uh, both wanting to live in the detached home that we're now renting. And we were given the option um, to propose that we were going to sign for two years, that or pay a little bit more um, in rent. So, and the total amount of rent, I'll just throw out the number, it was just $300 more a year. So it wasn't a massive um, deal-breaking amount in the grand scheme of things. But my big thing is if you can sign for a year, sign for just one year. Because like Trevor said, your life does change so dramatically. And in the, the changing uh, 20s, 
life does not look the same year to year at all. And, and signing for that two year may a lock you into location that's not convenient or doesn't, or maybe you're even living where you're currently living. Um, just because you are signed in for, for two years, even though you're, that's not kind of accommodating your career aspirations. And two, with renting, you don't know what kind of problems you're walking into with that home. You can't really, getting it assessed or looked at isn't really kind of a viable option. So you're, you don't know what you're walking into. So signing for two years is not something I would ever advise. So did you choose the longer term lease? No, we went with the one for the sole reason that you don't, I, we had no idea what kind of things would pop up because you, you never... You never really know because you're walking into a new neighborhood that you've maybe never been to. So it's so we did choose the um, pay a little bit more um, for our I guess over the year, um, which which we thought pros and cons was worth it because we really did um, love this place that we are currently living in. And I, I would agree with your decision. So you what you did is you bought some flexibility or some some freedom of choice. Exactly, and and that was worth it. But again, if it, it, it it's all unique to the situation, but I I heavily um, based on the problems and challenges I faced in other rental units, and thankful that it wasn't a uh, a kind of a two year lease. And I'm going to say that's a that's a bit of a red flag. Just you know, just hearing you say that that the landlord wants to lock you in for a longer period of time, that might suggest that he the the landlord. There could be some issues with the property if if the landlord feels the need to lock the tenant in. Yeah, and I mean we haven't faced any yet, but but knowing that we are always um, vigilant. You haven't lived through a winter. No, we yet. haven't lived through winter. Yeah, there it, it's a whole it's a whole season. So knowing that, knowing all these little things, it didn't turn us away from this property, um, in this home. But we we are again always always vigilant, always aware of whatever kind of things have come up even over the the time that we have been here the short time and all those little things you kind of have to make note of them and um and i i, I will get to this in the rent burst by so i won't ruin this point right now but there are just things to be aware of and you know just hearing so you used you rented an apartment building and now you're in a house i, I think that's a good idea to rent a house prior to buying one because you start to get to f- a feeling for some of the additional responsibilities that might come with a home Versus an apartment building. Oh, for sure. It's a great way to test out. I mean, our home's not big by any means. It's, uh, we'll actually get into, I'll get into how big it is for our next point, but it's just, it's kind of just enough space. It's, um, and, and you kind of, you get a, like you said, yeah, you get a, a kind of a trial period to see if you are ready for home ownership. So uh, number four, we talked about space. So number four is how much space do you really need? And this point is, I love it because it's a point where you can kind of lose your mind or be really honest with yourself. Yeah, so if you, you, people tend to occupy as much space as they have available. That's been my experience for me. If I, not that I'm a hoarder and I collect junk, but I will let my belongings spread out into the space available and I will condense it if need be to a smaller space available. We I tend to be very adaptable to my, my, my surroundings, but I would, people will tend to, I'm going to say, whether you're buying a house or renting a house, you tend to err on the side of caution. But I think when it comes to renting, I think people tend to be more conservative and, on, and realistic on the space they actually need because the 
the cost benefit seems more more obvious or more apparent. No, I'd have to agree with that. And I, I just kind of give perspective to my perspective. I I recently just went from a one bedroom apartment to now a, a kind of a two bedroom apartment. It's it's kind of a one bedroom plus a den. I mean, it, it is a full bedroom, but it's not the full size of a bedroom. And it does have more closet space and more storage space. So I, I personally, from from my perspective, where I'm sitting right now, I feel that there was not not enough space in the one bedroom. Um, I, I do consider myself a minimalist too. So it's not like I have a ton of stuff. I do have a lot of stuff. But at some level, there is this kind of uncomfortability when you don't have enough space. And when you're used to have like as a homeowner, so that's my kind of, if we're going to flip this on the other side, um, that's, that's one thing that kind of having a home and then moving to renting is that you're giving, you kind of eliminate some space, you eliminate, there's a lot of things that you kind of get rid of, maybe luxuries that you didn't realize were luxuries. So in the, in the apartment renting world, everybody wants a two bedroom apartment. That, that's just, everybody wants that. And so what happens is the one bedroom apartments are, you know, if, if you're just doing math on square footage, they're dramatically cheaper. They're, they're, there's a deal to be had on one bedroom apartments everywhere two bedroom apartments you actually pay a premium so it's everybody wants that additional room so if you can manage in a smaller space than the average person you're going to save yourself quite a bit of money oh yeah 100 percent. it it because it, we because and, and then you might be able to live in maybe the downtown core if that's something you enjoy just because you are doing something that most people um, are kind of choosing not to do so that's number four. How much space do you really need? It's an honest question you definitely have to ask yourself. Number five is that luxury comes at a cost. So this one is, it's kind of a double-edged sword. So obviously, if you rent a, in a luxurious building with a you know, pool and a gym and granite countertops and in-unit in laundry facilities and underground parking, if you have all of that in your rental unit and just say, you really enjoy that, but it turns out you can't afford it. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck reverting back to just the common person's rental unit, you know, with street parking, community laundry service, laminate countertops <laughs> that are lifting and, you know, just good luck going to a, an everyday rental unit. So if, if you find a luxury unit that you can afford Make sure you can afford it like forever because reverting back is going to be really hard. Oh, yeah, 100%. And in, in kind of flipping that on its head, um, in there's an area of the city I live in that there, it's a little bit like more of a higher crime rate area. Um, it, but however, there are the, the homes there because it is a, a lower um, kind of less desirable neighborhood to live in the you can afford uh, more luxurious spaces in that neighborhood of town um so that's kind of another thing at, at, at when we say cost i mean if you feel okay living anywhere regardless of your surroundings maybe you maybe you can afford that luxury in that area so at the, at the, you kind of have to weigh your what your kind of costs are what your pros and cons are what you feel um is important to you but that would be a horrible scenario. Just say you get uh, the champagne taste of a luxurious unit, but then you decide that this neighborhood is too unsafe. Then you have a choice to make. You either you move to a safer 
neighborhood in an, in a luxurious unit at a higher cost, or you move to a safer neighborhood in a downgraded unit at a lower cost. So it's, or, or, or a similar cost. So that's kind of where it, it could go, it could go bad, right? Oh, definitely. And I do have a question for you, Trevor, when we're talking about this, so luxury comes at a cost. So if, so you're, you're, you're hoping to downsize from a home. When you do that, will you be, will you be using more, will you, I guess, will the place that you rent, kind of the place that you, whatever, if you do choose the rental route, will it be a more luxurious place because you have the, the, the like the discretionary, the, the spendable income to do that? Or will you take the more modest, frugal approach Um like how are you going to go about doing that because you can't afford when you're living in a big full-size house i mean that is i'm the mortgage on that or, or the the kind of what you get when you sell that that is going to be more than enough i'm i'm assuming for for an apartment so how are you going to kind of go about looking at luxury and balancing your needs so my my entire life has been all about stability and i've lived in the same house for over 20 years worked the same job for over 20 years so when I retire, I'm going to do a, a maybe a five-year nomadic lifestyle where I am going to scale back all of my possessions. I am going to rent for the purpose of mobility and live in different places and just just for an adventure. That, that's really my, my uh, retirement aspirations. So I'm not so caught up in uh, sort of luxurious as, as I'm going to be location. Location is going to be really important to me in this five-year window of nomadic lifestyle. So you don't feel entitled to to be living in a more luxurious apartment because you are downsizing to a two-bedroom or a one-bedroom, and you therefore can afford it. Like there's there, that thought kind of is not one that's in your head. Well, my house I haven't renovated my house to be luxurious. Like I don't have granite countertops. I don't have uh, hardwood floors. My house is just. Uh, sort of a very plain, ordinary, run-of-the-mill house. So I, I'm not about to expose myself to luxury and then have an appetite for that going forward. I, I, I've lived my whole life in in a very sort of very conservative environment. I'm not going to all of a sudden ramp that up when I, I'm living on retirement income. I like that approach. I really like that. The last item in our list for determining your rental needs is beware of a deal that is too good to be true. And I cannot stress how important this point is. So a deal that's too good to be true, it, it, chances are it is. If you find the just the perfect unit in the perfect location at the perfect price and it's available today, okay, if you find all of those things, there's a chance that you, you got lucky. I mean, you could be just at the right place at the right time. But I don't like the chances of, of that actually happening to everybody. So I'm saying it, you're missing something. And this is in life in general. I mean, if you find something that is, you know, it's a little cheaper than you thought it was going to be and it's a little shinier than you thought it was going to be and uh, the location is just like right where you wanted to be, and you're missing something. Something is not there. Like if something is not, if you're not on a waiting list for what I just described, then you're missing something. And I, I like that. I like that because there is the case that you are there at the right time, but 
at the same time, you definitely, and I think even when, if you do are living in that place that you found that is perfect by, by your standards, again, like I said earlier, just be vigilant, be aware of all the things that are happening within your home, without your home, without, within your apartment, outside of your apartment and, and take those into consideration and, and kind of just keep, always keep assessing at your surroundings. Now that may sound very pessimistic, right? That, that how could it possibly be, how could this had possibly worked out so perfectly for me? <laughs> and I'm going to say, if you have, just use this as a gauge. If you're somebody who has really low expectations or, 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 or different expectations than the general society does, then chances are things have worked out for you all the time, right? You, you, you've always got exactly what you wanted when you needed it at the price you were willing to pay. If this happens to you throughout your life, then it's, and it happens in your rental life, then it, it probably, it's true. But if, if this doesn't normally happen, if you have the same expectations of a rental property as everybody else does, and the price you're willing to pay is kind of the same as the market price and everybody else's, then why do you think this perfect ideal play and your your location does desirability is the same as everybody else's? So just say you want to live in the downtown core of a metropolitan city and you want to do it for 1500 bucks a month in downtown Toronto. Just say, just, just I know that math doesn't work for anybody, but just say you want to live in downtown Toronto for 1500 bucks a month in a luxury unit with all those amenities I described before. And it's available today. Well, you are missing something, I guarantee it. You know, that, that's, that's an exaggerated example, but you could imagine if you found that, you're missing something for sure. Yes, that, that right there is, yes. I, I cannot agree more with that statement because uh, that, is, that is actually, that's what happened with this place that we are in. We, it's kind of, the closets are a little bit unfinished. There's some uneven floor. So it has a lot of quirks to it that, um, perfectly suits exactly what we were looking for. So you were looking for something that everybody else probably wasn't. Yeah, but you but you knew that going in. Yeah, definitely. We we uh, and it's so we kind of we I we asked ourselves that question: Why is this? Why is this unit empty? Why are and we don't even know the answer. We we might not know the answer until maybe a year from now. But um, well, I think you described it. The couple of the the flaws you're describing maybe the general population is not comfortable with Yeah, that. no, that's definitely the case. I mean, we went for an open house here and a lot of people were streaming in and we're like, wow. And to, to know, but again, yeah, the, the things that we enjoyed and the kind of the quirks that we loved might have not been everyone's cup of tea. So to your point that you can definitely have a more, the optimistic view of, of what you're what you're looking at. So on a, an unre- unrelated topic, but related is I, I remember I, the job I work at right now, I found that job and I thought I, I must be missing something because it's, it's a great job in a, in a small town. It's exactly what I was looking for. Great pay. I, I, I thought I, I'm missing something for sure and I'm going to find out eventually. But then after I worked there for a while, while I realized not everybody wants to live in a small town in, in my profession. Most of the people in, in finance want to work in head offices in, in, in metropolitan cities. So I, I didn't realize it at the time when I took the job. I was just waiting for me to figure out what I was missing and it never did actually show up because it turns out I wanted something a lot of people didn't. I wanted to live in a small town. So that was that, that's an example where I, I thought everybody wanted the same thing I did, but it turns out they didn't. You know, Most people don't want to move to an isolated small town which I did. So 
that's how I was able to land a great job in a, in a perfect environment for me, not for general society. I love that. That's that's so perfect. So the big kind of... And, oh. you know, I'm, I'm just going to say, if you can find that niche of, of liking something general society doesn't, in life in general, it, it will reward you throughout your life. Yeah, I, I that and, and, and throughout your life and on everything that you do because it's it's I agree with that because that means you're kind of doing things that other people aren't doing like even with cars so what's popular is these four-door pickup trucks right that is the the family vehicle of choice today well if you decided you liked a sedan like a four-door car if that was something you really enjoyed driving well you're going to get those at a real deal today because nobody wants those everybody wants trucks and suvs so if, if you end up finding a, a niche of, of and again, you don't pretend you want it. I mean, if, if you like trucks, then well, no, don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, it's, it's liking something everybody else doesn't. Here, here's one. I, I like uh, uh, manual transmissions. I love driving cars with manual transmissions. Well, if, if most people like automatics. So if you like a manual transmission, those cars, when I used, car with a manual transmission is a couple thousand dollars cheaper than the same thing with an automatic transmission all day long. So if you like that, then you're, you're always going to get it a deal. No, that's so true. I cannot agree more with that. So I want to move on now to talking about the million dollar question. How much should you be paying for rent? So, you know, remember when I, we did a used car episode and I said, how much should you be willing pay for a used car and I had a formula it, it's, it was twofold so the, the I'll just reiterate the used car one so you should be able it should be no more than 50% of your annual household income should be tied up in vehicles and if you have to borrow money it should be for no more than three years a 36 month car loan so I had a, a very specific formula and I have the same thing for rent so with rent this is if you want to get ahead financially. If, if, if you want to just survive, then you, you can pay more than this. But I feel to get ahead financially in life, one week's pay should equal one month's rent. So one week's household income, so one week's pay for the household should equal one month's rent. And in, in doing that, you end up, so I'm saying a quarter of your income goes to rent a quarter of your income goes to your survival needs. A quarter of your income goes to other lifestyle expenses. And then a quarter of your income goes to savings. So if you're saving 25% of your income, I'm saying you're getting ahead financially. And would you say, so we'll have, can you say that, I, I just can you, for the purpose of our listeners, can you say that equation one more time? I just want to get that home. So one week's pay equals one month's rent. And then uh, break that up again quarterly. We just okay. reiterate that. So then, so, so one quarter of your household income goes to rent. One quarter of your household income goes to life, to survival expenses. One quarter of your income goes to the other lifestyle expenses. And then one quarter of your income goes to savings. And that, the, if you're saving a quarter of your income, then I, I like your chances of getting ahead financially. Wow, that is powerful. That is that, that the conceptual framework of that 
is it's it's powerful. And, and is this something that you believe will work for for everyone? And is this something you practice? If you're saving a quarter of your income towards something, it could be toward buying a car, it could be toward the down payment for your first home, it could be toward retirement. But if you're saving 25% of your income, you you are doing better than I'm going to say 90% of the people in our country. Like you, you are going to get ahead financially for sure. And then when we're looking at the one week's pay equals one month of rent, do you believe wholeheartedly that this is doable for everyone? Is there any exceptions to this rule? And um, sh- and, and should we always be kind of aiming for that? If we, if, if, or is this just, if, I mean, if we can afford, should we be, I guess, buying or renting whatever, or renting whatever we can afford with one week's pay, regardless of what our pay is? Like where, did, where, where does this, the line, where's the line drawn? Well, I mean, if, if you are building a career and you're, you're living in a metropolitan city because that's where the career opportunities are, and just say uh, it takes two weeks' pay to cover your rent, but you have uh, opportunity in your future to, to improve on that, then, then obviously I would continue down that path knowing things are only going to get better, not worse. But just say you have... No formal education, and you're living in the downtown core of a metropolitan city, and you are, and it's taking two weeks' pay to pay one month's rent, and you have no future prospects or no future prosperity, no future growth in your like it, it's this job or nothing. Then I would say you probably need to change your cost base, meaning get out of that metropolitan city and get it to a low cost, low lower cost area, where you can come up with that formula I described. And I, I'd like that we are talking about rent um, from, again, the cost perspective, which is always important. But we always say that um, our housing and our transportation needs are the things that will make and break us. Do you believe that um, the, where renting kind of can do the same? or And would you say it's at the same severity? Oh, absolutely. Rent, renting can, can be your undoing, just like buying too much house. And the problem, like I was saying, the luxury, if you get, if, if you, if your first place you rent is a two bedroom apartment, then good luck downscaling to a one bedroom apartment, right? You, 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 reverting back is going to always be more challenging. So then you end up make, you end up making a two bedroom apartment, your minimum requirement, whether you can afford it or not. And then you, you end up just living with bad math. So the other kind of consideration when it comes to how much we pay for rent is considering all the costs uh, when comparing um, unit to unit. So I know when you were debating on moving to this new property, there was a couple of considerations. And you lived in the downtown core and parking was an, a, a substantial additional cost to living downtown. And also... I know you you have to pay for laundry in your new place. You you're telling me you don't. So there's a lot of cost to add in. Like you you need to look at the whole cost picture of living in one place, and your transportation is actually a big part of of analyzing that cost base. So if you live in a downtown core and you walk to work, and now you're gonna move out of the downtown core and have to uh, either drive or or use public transit, that's a cost cons- consideration. If you have to pay for parking in a downtown core, if you move out of the downtown core and parking is included in the new place you live, that's a cost consideration. So there's a, and then utilities, it just, 
you have to look at the size of the place you're renting. The bigger the place, it's going to cost more to heat. So there's a lot of, you can't just look at the rent when, when determining, uh, when you're comparing rental units. No, you definitely can't go in blind. And this, this, uh, this area in particular, having a documented budget is so important to kind of discovering um, if, if, if kind of acquiring the new, the new kind of utilities I'd have to pay for was, was, was feasible. I mean, looking at how much I paid in laundry, you kind of had one of those uh, tap cards. If, if anyone is, is using those as well or coined kind of the same idea, but, having a documented budget and seeing how much I actually spent on laundry every month was astounding. And when you kind of factor in that that's going to go away um, and then, and then you're going to kind of probably acquire some other things. So you're right. It's just, it's really a kind of a cost comparison in seeing if at this point, if the math makes sense. So that was, we talked about determining your housing rental needs and as, as well as how much we should pay for rent now we're going to kind of get into discussion because I know I have some questions in my mind for rent versus buy. So we're going to talk about, but what about those things that are kind of lingering in the back of our mind, the considerations that we kind of have to talk about when we do talk about renting versus buying? You can't talk about rent without this conversation. It just, it, it crops up in, in everybody's mind. You know, should I be buying or is renting really worth it? So the first one, and we did allude to this at the beginning of the episode, and the kind of the thing that always comes up is, um, are we throwing away money when we are renting? We just we talked about it at the beginning, but Trevor, what, do I would I just want to kind of put this to to rest or to 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 really highlight that it's not what it appears. So if you're throwing them, if you think throwing away renting is throwing away money, then insurance you're also throwing away money. In fact, you're throwing away more money because you're, you're you're hoping to get nothing in return for that insurance, just peace of mind. So when you rent something, you get a place to live. But I think if you're choosing rent over buy, you're also buying flexibility. I was going to say that. Yes, you're buying the option to move with zero transaction costs. That that is what you're. So I've described my re- first five years of retirement is going to be very nomadic. And I, when I pay rent, I, I, you know, I would lose my financial mind if I bought and sold for the number of times I hope to move in my ret- early retirement. So there is, you are buying the option to, to move frequently when you rent. And there is. And, and I'm going to say somebody who's trying to build a career and if just say you, you get a job in a really large company, like a multinational company and you you buy a house in that in that city where you get a job right out of school you great paying job you put a down payment and buy a house well your mobility has been reduced dramatically you you if an opportunity to advance your career comes up in the other side of the country you're gonna have to sell your house or rent it out i mean that 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 would appear to be more of an anchor than an asset in, in that scenario and I think that level of flexibility that you're talking about has been has been something even I can appreciate not having owned a home, but the kind of the ideal idea of owning a home. And for that reason, I mean, this is going to kind of hit on point number two I'm about to talk about. But for that reason, that might be a reason why maybe you 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 never own a home or you put off on owning a home just because you enjoy, you crave the flexibility so much. 
And I want to say, when we're talking rent versus buy, I am a homeowner. I, I have a house. I have had a mortgage, paid it off. I, I, I'm an outright homeowner. It is the single building wealth tool, single biggest wealth building tool I've had in my life in the form of forced savings and asset appreciation. The, the combination of those two things, I wouldn't have the wealth I have today had I not bought a home. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing on home ownership. It, it, it has been a great uh, decision I've made, but it, it, it doesn't have to be forever. Definitely. And uh, so I, I want to move on to point number two because I kind of mentioned talk to it. Um, and it is that home ownership is not for everyone. And Trevor, we've talked about this in the past, but what are the alternative things we can do to build wealth? Just we'll talk about it briefly because we we have we do have an episode in our past catalog where we really talked in depth about this. But what can we do to build wealth if we're never, ever going to own a home? So we're going to talk about this in another point coming up on this section, but there's more cost to home ownership than just paying the mortgage. And so if just say you've come up with a scenario where rent, paying rent is the same as paying a mortgage. Okay. And that's your, that was your decision base as well. So we're going to talk, okay, I'm going to talk about point number four I'm right jumping now. Ahead. There's more, to, yeah, there's, there's more to the cost of home ownership than just a mortgage. There, there's taxes there's maintenance. There's just the maintenance is, is, is a big one because it comes in lumpy. Like roofs are really expensive. Windows are really expensive. You know, replacing furnaces is really expensive. You don't have to do it all the time, but when they do come up, they really hit you hard. So there's a lot more cost. And then the taxes and the insurance, there's just a lot more cost to owning a home. But like I did say earlier, it's a great wealth building tool. I'm glad I did it. But, but but if we're talking if, if for for the individual who'll never own a home who home ownership is not for, what what can you advise for them as a way to build wealth if they're not going to be investing money in a home? So that's what we're going to get to. So it, it takes a lot of self discipline. So them all those extra costs I, I I were describing in home ownership, take that extra money and invest it in like an index fund or in the market somewhere. So it, it, it's that discipline. So the money that you would have been paying for all those additional costs that you, you're not paying because you're renting, you have to have the discipline to invest that money somewhere. See, okay, so I like this point because in the past, if anyone's been around for, for long enough and, and have been with us when we recorded our last episode on this, that we, we talked about this, but I love the way you framed it um, in this conversation right now because... And in and, and one sense, um, when you're paying for a new roof, like no no one's going to bat an eye at that. Like your roof is, is about to leak. Of course you need a new roof. And that those decisions are kind of forced upon you and they make sense. And you know you have to save for that new roof. It's more tangible. But but in the other sense where all that, that lumpy money, that money that would have gone towards household maintenance and expenses is now being redirected. But imaginarily, if you are actually renting, like that is that is so hard to swallow. But it takes a real discipline to do that investing, right? I'm going to say in my younger years, I don't know that I would have had that discipline. I would have, I would have wanted to live a little more life. But the forced savings of repaying that mortgage and then obviously you own the home, you have to maintain it. Those are obligations that you accept when you buy a house. So it's kind of forced upon you. You don't need the discipline to do it. I like that a lot. 
So we'll backtrack to point number three. And um, point number three is home ownership does not make sense at every stage of life. And Trevor, you're really demonstrating that now. Yeah, so some people will, will continue to live in a home their whole life. But I'm going to say, so I said earlier, if you're trying to build a career, maybe home ownership doesn't make sense. But when when I had a young family, I, I wanted, so I, my kids grew up and left home in the same house. And that was something I really wanted to give my children and, and I was able to do it. It was important to me. I had that as a child, so I wanted to give it to my kids. That's stability. So owning a home and raising a family, I'm not saying you have to, but it's a great place to raise a family. It's a great wealth building tool as well. But it doesn't mean when you become an empty nester, if you continue to own a home, it, it, it's great for when your family come back to visit, to have all that space. That's nice. But having the, the flexibility and freedom to just have an apartment where you lock the door and you, you head off for three months down to Florida in the winter and not have to worry about who's, you know, how your house is doing, if a pipe has burst, like just to not have that burden and that worry is... I think com- it's going to be comforting for me. So I, um, I think you, I, I say life unfolds in five-year windows and you need to reevaluate every five years. So, and at the beginning of your life, it, I'm going to say your housing needs are, are changing rapidly. And I'm going to say at the end of your life, it, a lot of people hold on to a house too long it, beyond their physical abilities. And they end up putting a burden on their family to help them with, housing needs and, and renovations and upkeep. And I, I think maybe that's unnecessary. So I, I I would say a lot of people say giving, when they get older, I, I see this in a lot of people, you know, we have to give up the house. You know, they talk about it in a negative way. I don't think it has to be negative. I think it's just another stage of life. You don't need the house anymore. So in saying, in saying that, I mean, things are always easier said than done, but is it, do you believe for you that's going to be maybe a difficult transition? And, and can you kind of, well, you're at that stage where you are making that decision. Do you, do you believe you kind of gained some insight into, into why that decision is difficult and why maybe a lot of the cases is you do just, or individuals do just end up staying in a home and it's paid off and it's just comfortable? Well, I think people are emotionally attached to their houses. Yeah, a lot of I, I know a lot of people that are. I'm not emotionally attached to my house. The memories are, are the things that happen inside it. It, it. The house itself is not the memory. It was it's it's nothing more than a structure, you know, made of bricks and wood, and it, it, it's just a building to me. I'm not emotionally attached to it, but I I know people that are, and I get the the struggles. They they think if they give up their house, they're giving up a, a part of their life. And if that is the case, then, you know, those are the people that probably should keep their houses. They, I, why, why give up your house to be miserable? But for me, I, I'm not emotionally attached to my house at all. So in point number five, there are six points in this list as well. And point number five, we kind of spoke to a little bit earlier, but point number five is the transaction cost of buying and selling are significant. So how significant are these costs really I mean, just at a high level, real estate commission can be four or five percent of the value of your home. You've got land transfer tax. Yeah, you've got legal fees. Buying and selling a house, you, if you do it on a, you know, I'm going to say, just say you bought and sold every five years, you will have gobbled up a lot of the appreciation you would have gained in, in owning a house. But it, it's just, 
I think the the transaction costs become uh, an obstacle. Either if if you're not concerned about them, that's that's probably a bad thing. But they just they're more significant than you think. So I I think if you're going to get into real estate, buy and hold. Actually, with with most most assets, unless you're timing the market, just say you got in at rock bottom and you're getting out at the peak. Well, you can't help but make money on any asset doing that. But for you know, just random luck. If you bought in the middle of a of a market and you sold in the middle of a market, and you, your house appreciated just a little bit. All those, all that appreciation can be gobbled up in transaction costs in no time. And lastly, on this list is very fittingly a book recommendation by you, Trevor. Yeah, so I read this book a while ago, and I've I've gave it to my kids to read, and it's called The Wealthy Renter by Alex Avery. And it's a, he's a Canadian author and he writes his books from a Canadian perspective. And it's very thought-provoking. And I, there's two people that should read this. So if you are feeling bad about renting, then read this book because it is it, it gives you a whole different view of, of, of renting and, uh, and how buying is really not as sound an investment as you think. And I, I go back to my thing... I think the greatest wealth building aspect of owning a home is the repayment of the mortgage, which in essence is forced savings. So, and when I say forced savings, that's you repay the mortgage. And then if you were to sell the house, you, you get that equity back. So we, you borrowed the money, you repaid the money. Now when you sell the asset being the house, you get that money back. So the forced savings, people think they've made a lot of money on their house. But when I look at any... I'll say 20-year window. Again, if you bought at the bottom of the market and sold at the top, you made it made it like a bandit. But any of my family members who have bought and hold, held houses for 20 or 30 years, their return, when I look at what they bought their house for and what they sold it for, is around 5%. And that, that I, I've sort of tested that on three, maybe four scenarios, grandparents, parents, you know, buying and selling houses, and they held them for a long period of time. So the, the the market return over a long period of time is not is not as fabulous as people think. It, it is the forced savings where the real wealth building is. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. We have went from all the way from determining your housing rental needs if you're in the market for renting talking to how much you should actually pay for rent right to the the debate between rent versus buy where we contrasted the pros and cons of renting against buying um any anything that we talked about will be in our show notes today and if you want to get the name of the book that trevor just uh, mentioned it, it will be in our show notes but it'll also be on trevor's book recommendation list which uh, is an ever-growing list available on our website livelifesimple.ca so Trevor, again, that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you'd like to share any of your thoughts or experiences on renting versus buying, both good and bad, you can always reach out to us through our contact submission form on our website, livelifesimple.ca, or via email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for a brand new one. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.